0: Hear the word of the Lord.
1: The resurrection. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom loved Jesus, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the lined clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the line clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the line clothes but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes.
0: Um, This is Lisa.
2: But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she stooped, Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener," she said to him, "Sir, if you had taken away him away, tell me where you had laid him, and I will take him away." Jesus said to her, "Mary." She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabuni," which means which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. If you have your Bibles open, that's where we are. We're in John chapter twenty. John chapter twenty. We've been up. Oh, children are dismissed. I don't want to miss that. Although we won't be long—about twenty-five minutes. We're just gonna we're gonna peek into uh, the Gospel according to John. We've been studying this book together as a church family for for uh, about a year and a half. We love to go through books of the Bible uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And by God's providence, by God's design, we're in chapter 20, uh, looking at the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on Easter morning. Chapter 19, after being flogged and whipped with a uh, flagellum, a uh, uh, whip with bones and and lead in the end of it, Jesus led away to the hill uh, called Calvary. He's then nailed to a wooden cross beam, he's hoisted up, he's uh, nailed to a horizontal beam, and then he's crucified. He spends several hours there hanging between two thieves, and from approximately 12 noon to 3 p.m., the land becomes dark as the Father pours out the full measure of his wrath against sin, and the recipient is the Lord Jesus himself. It is the very cup in which he prayed about in the garden hours before. After shouting, it is finished, the work of forgiveness, the the atonement for sins was completed. Scripture says he gave up his spirit and he died. The professional killers that were there went to see if he was dead. They found him dead. They didn't have to break his bones, his his legs, which hastened death. But rather they pierced his his side, shoved a, a sword in and blood and water come out. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, acts Pilate for the body. Pilate, unsure, acts a centurion who's in charge, who who knows when a body is, is dead, says Jesus has died, and Pilate grants Joseph of Arimathea the body of Jesus. He is taken down before the Sabbath begins, before sundown. The scriptures tell us at this point that Nicodemus, a follower of Jesus, also joined Joseph, and, and, and these two men, along with Mary Magdalene and some other women, prepared Jesus' body for a proper Jewish burial. They took the body, they bound it in linen, wrapped it in 75 pounds of spices, and laid, them, laid him in a new tomb, a tomb that was cut out, out of the rock. It was Joseph's tomb, and a, and a, and a stone was rolled in front of it. Jesus is dead. He is buried before sundown, Sabbath on Friday afternoon, not evening. And the next day guards are placed next to the tomb because of what Jesus has said he will rise again. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, this story that we're going to look at the next day, the re- two days later, the resurrection, three days later, excuse me, on Sunday morning, I want it to be an encouragement to you this morning. I want it to strengthen your faith in the risen Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you're skeptical. Maybe you're here because someone promised you a good Easter dinner afterwards if you came, I don't know. Maybe you're here to see someone get baptized. That's awesome. But I want to challenge you this morning in the next few minutes to be honest about the resurrection, to to look at it sincerely and how it speaks to us, how it speaks literally to, to the mind and to the heart and to the will. To the mind, to the heart, and to the will. Look with me to chapter 20 as it opens up, as we look at what the resurrection says to the mind. Mary Magdalene arrives to the tomb very early, Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, she sees that the stone was, that was sealed by the Roman government has been moved. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that the first Easter morning there were several women that had gone to the tomb early in the morning. Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene was there with another Mary. Mark mentions the two Marys and Salome. Luke says Mary and Joanna. So there, there are many there, but John mentions only Mary Magdalene Probably, or most likely because she's emphasizing her because she's the first one to see the risen Christ. If you remember in the Gospel according to Luke, it says that Mary Magdalene was one of the women uh, that provided for them, meaning Jesus and his disciples, out of their own means while they were in ministry. They were providing for them, probably because the guys got tired of eating, you know, ramen noodle soup all day long, every day. So these women came along and cared for them. And what's interesting is that in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have women as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Now, that may not seem important to you or relevant or why does that matter, but in the ancient world, uh, in the time of this writing, women were very, very marginalized. They, They were not to believe their testimony. No one would believe their testimony. Dr. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, uh, quote Celsus, he's a Greek philosopher in the second century, attacking Christianity and the resurrection, and that Mary Magdalene was the first one there. And this is what he says. Now, before I read it, I do not believe this, but this is what he said. So don't shoot me. This is what he said. <laughs> How could anyone expect a rational male to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? End quote. First century. They weren't even allowed to testify in court they were seen as inferior, unreliable. We don't hear. Just want to make that again, just really clear. Mary Magdalene was also Luke tells us was a woman that had seven demons. And Jesus healed her and delivered her from seven demons. Now we don't know how she got seven demons whether she's living a really wicked life or whether a sin against her. We, we don't know. We don't know how that happened. I mean, you, know, you don't get seven demons by not washing your hands after you use the bathroom, but we don't know. But she was not a woman of good reputation, according to Scripture. So, so think about this. If John or anyone else in the first century was making up a story, they would never put women, first century, as eyewitnesses if they were in their right mind, if if they're looking to get a movement off the ground, it would not have been Mary Magdalene. And that means the only possible, and and this is, is a very strong reason to believe the tomb is empty, is that she's telling the truth. Why would you put this in there to get a movement off the ground? In fact, Luke tells us that when Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples, he is risen, I have seen him, they said, The word seemed to them an idle tale. Idle tale is delirium, is where we get the word delirium from. They were, she was, females were out of their mind. And now look at verse 3 and 4. After hearing from Mary that the tomb was empty, Peter and John run out to see for themselves. Peter is older, he loves cheeseburgers like me, so he gets there, you know, second. John outruns him. John may be faster, but he's he's outside the tomb. He's looking in. Now, you see the picture of these big rocks of the resurrection of of the empty tomb. More than likely, it was more horizontal than it was vertical. So John outruns Peter. But look at verse 5. John stoops in and looks, saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, right on cue, right? Bold and impetuous uh, Peter goes in. Verse 6 He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I think he he believed uh, Mary Magdalene. That's what I think what it means. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Like, all right, we're going home now. Now in verse 6, the word saw, in in the original language, is not the regular word being used. It is actually the word, which is theereho, which comes, which where we get our word theorize. So they're looking into the, to this empty tomb, and they're, they're observing intently. They're, they're looking for an explanation. It's a scientific word. It, it means reasoning, and they're saying, what's going on here? Here we see the apostles fervently trying to figure things out. What's going on? I mean, what were they thinking? Maybe they thought some followers had come, uh, some of the other dis- disciples of Jesus had come and took the body out. Maybe that was going through their head. But they had a lot more to lose than to gain by stealing the body. In fact, uh, tradition tells us that all but one of the apostles was murdered, was, was brutally killed for their faith. Now, there are a lot of people that believe something to be true that isn't true and lose their life for it. But nobody, but nobody suffers a torturous death for something they know to be a lie. We know that the Jewish leaders didn't take the body because they did. They'd march him through the city. You know the one who said he was the Messiah, that we've said he was blaspheming? Here's his body. Four days later, five days later, six days later. Maybe they thought it was a grave robber. Rave robbers were very popular back then. It was, it was, it was, they, would, they would go into the graves and then rob the jewelry. People would be buried with certain things. They would steal, the, steal stuff from the body and they would leave. Very common in those days. But why would a grave robber fold clothes before stealing the body? I mean, the clothes were lying there, the face cloth was folded up. I mean, who robs a house and then folds the laundry? I mean, you know, you see someone in your house, uh, can you finish folding the towels before you leave? That doesn't happen. Gravery, r- grave robbery was a serious offense with serious consequences. You'd go in, you would do what you got to do, you get out. They don't unwrap the body and leave everything else behind, unless you have a tidy burglar. I mean, think. Believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not mean believers in Jesus commit intellectual suicide. Look at the evidence. Even the differences, even the even the differences, the minor differences, they're without contradiction. But there are differences when you read the four stories, the four narratives, speaks to its authenticity. If it were all exactly alike, it would bring more red flags than not. Some sort of false reputation or some concocted story. Think. Now look at the heart. Look at at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she went, she stooped, looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One of them... The head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So she runs and tells Peter and John. They run to the tomb. She goes back to the tomb. They go back home, and she's weeping at the tomb. And and for the first time, she looks in. She sees two angels. They say, why are you weeping? And her response is telling. No one expected the resurrection, even though Jesus had said it. Where did they take him? They took the body. We're looking for the body. We're not looking for a resurrection. We're looking for the body. She thinks it's the gardener. The rock was in a a garden. The tomb was in a garden. She thinks it's the gardener. Now remember, Mary was at the crucifixion. Mary was Magdalene was delivered by demons. Mary Magdalene cared and ministered to Jesus. She's heartbroken. She's weeping. She's crying. She's hurting. She is deeply grieving. Leon Morris captures the beauty of this scene. He says this. There is something very moving about this first meeting of the risen Lord with any of his followers. There is, moreover, a wonderful condescension involved. We have no reason for thinking of Mary as being a particularly important person, yet it was to her and not to any of the outstanding leaders of the apostolic band that the Lord appeared first. The story is told simply and with conviction. End quote. Maybe she didn't recognize him like when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. Maybe she was crying, maybe she was upset, but maybe as Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he comes across two disciples and and they don't recognize him. Something wonderfully and beautifully have changed in his resurrection body. Maybe that's why. Verse 15, Jesus does speak. Jesus says the first words out of his mouth after his resurrection, women, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking, supposing to be the gardener? She's looking for a corpse she encounters, a person. Although Mary is filled with compassion, I believe, and love toward Jesus, but look at the beauty of Christ. Look at the beauty of our Savior going after her. Good counselors know it's vitally important to ask questions to help people to see and reveal truth. And in love and in gentleness, Jesus reveals himself to her. Verse 15, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Not Miss Magdalene, woman, lady, Mary. Although she's looking for a dead body, he's alive, and Christ comes to her. And he comes to us this morning in the same way. Hear his voice through the text, through the Spirit of God. That's how the gospel works. All of us are looking, all of us are seeking in the wrong places. And it's when Jesus shows up and reveals his love for you, his beauty, his glory, his grace that we can be found. That's the gospel. And when Jesus called her name Mary, what does she shout? Rabboni. She recognized him. Teacher, master. As the, as the words come out of his mouth and he speaks her name, she recognizes him. John ten twenty seven My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And I know them and they follow me. In that moment, Mary experienced her own glorious resurrection. Her faith had died, but now we see it soaring. Hope had vanished, but now it's leaped. Now it has leaped again as Jesus uses her name to reveal himself to her. Dr. Tim Keller writes this about using the name of Mary. He says this, If you want to know who you are, if you want to know who you are, Know me, Jesus talking. I know who you are. I made you. You are unique. The way you're going to find yourself and the way you're going to find your mission in life is not by trying to find yourself or trying to find your mission in life, but finding me. If you find me, you'll find yourself. When you grab me, when you get me, I'll call your name. End quote. You know, our culture is all about identity. Look deep within you. Try to identify yourself, then encourage yourself to, to be that identity. Here's the problem. Whatever we're searching for, to give us value, significance, sense of value and worth, it doesn't stand the test of time. We know there's some brokenness in us. We know there's some brokenness in the world. We know that we are imperfect people and that we can never fulfill our own hearts and satisfaction of being unconditionally loved, totally accepted. Even those dark places in our life that nobody knows. And when we have that security that we are loved and forgiven, we know our identity. And here's the thing. If we look outside of God, if we look outside of God for life-sustaining stability, security, love and acceptance, personhood, you're looking in an empty tomb in a dark place. Jesus is saying to us this morning, know me, be united with me, the risen Lord. Know my love and grace for you and you will know yourself. Let your heart settle on me. Find in in my love the deepest secrets as you look and see my love and savor my love, the finished work of Christ on the cross and all that the resurrection means and how God comes to us. It's not by what you do. It's by what God has already done in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that speak to your heart. And finally, the will. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, it is true that Christ must reveal himself before we can see him, but it's also true that when he does, we need to respond. We just need to respond. Jesus shows himself to Mary. She clings to him, literally holds on to him, not wanting to let him go. Now, I don't think she completely understood what was going on, but one thing we know, she responded to the name and did not want to let Jesus go. And if you've been tracking with us, Jesus has been saying over the past several months, as we've been studying the Scriptures, I'm going to the cross, I'm bringing glory to my Father, and then I'm ascending. I'm going back to the glory in which I had from the very beginning, before eternity, I'm going home to my Father. Don't cling to me, I'm going home, but go and tell my disciples. You know, the Scripture says that after Jesus' ascension, what was He going to do? He and the Father said He will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not only be in you, but will make Jesus real to you. He will live in you. He will, he will lead you into all truth. No matter how much we'd love to be in that day when Jesus walked the earth, wouldn't that be great? doesn't compare to the indwelling presence of Christ through the Spirit of God for every child of God who believes on him and responds to the gospel. Look at the beauty of this new relationship. Jesus comes and he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'm returning to our Father and our God. Because there's, there's, there's it's not the same thing. He's the eternal son of God. But he does say, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Because of the cross, because of Good Friday, his atoning substitutionary death, and now the resurrection from the grave, God becomes your God, your father. We are now adopted into the family of God. We're, we're not naturally, and no matter what you've been told, the truth is we're not naturally born into, family, into the family of God. We are alienated from Him because of our sin. We are outside. We are not co-heirs. We are outside the family of God because of sin and death. But, but God is gracious. And by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and by the application of that death and resurrection by the Spirit to our souls, we can become children of God. Back into fellowship with him and granted all the family privileges is through our adoption through the cross. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, daughtership, and by him we cry Abba Father. Could anything be more beautiful than that? Could anything be more beautiful than that? Now, I may say Father to you, and some of you have an issue with that. Maybe that, 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 that childhood sneaks back up on you. But let me tell you, God, our Father, is a perfect Father. A loving, compassionate Father. A sovereign Father who makes no mistakes. Now, let's be honest about the resurrection. The resurrection speaks to the mind. The tomb, see it. It's empty. The resurrection speaks to the heart. See the beauty and the grace and the love and the mercy of God. And Jesus calling your name, the resurrection speaks to the will. God is calling you to respond to the good news of the gospel. To trust him for the work Jesus accomplished on the cross dying in your place and for your sin. Paying the debt we all owe to God and then rising from the dead. Respond. But there's one last thing I want to look at really quickly here. Look with me back to verse 6 and 7. Simon Peter gets to the tomb, sees the clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, if you've been tracking, again, if you've been tracking with us, we've been studying the gospel according to John, does a dead man coming back to life wearing linen cloth sound familiar? It should. Chapter 11, poor Lazarus, dead in the grave, four days. Scripture says he stinketh. It's bad. Jesus comes to the tomb. They roll away the stone, and he says, Lazarus, come out. Chapter 11, verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus says to them, standing by, unbind him and let him go. Do you see the contrast? John wants us to see that the resurrection, although some similarities, has blaring differences. Lazarus needed to be unbound because he has a mortal body which will die again. After the resurrection, Jesus does not have a mortal body but a resurrected, glorified body. He will never die again. Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the first fruits of the harvest of the resurrection for all believers. Scholars think that Jesus just came right through the linen cloth, like he did coming through doors in the end of chapter 20. The doors are locked, Jesus shows up. And yet he's able to say to Thomas, put your hand here. Put your hand here. Feel me. Know and believe. He goes and eats fish with the disciples. He has this resurrected body that goes through walls and can eat fish. Easter, listen, shows us. The resurrection shows us. The empty tomb not only validates all the claims and all the teachings of Jesus Christ, his resurrection is our cosmic receipt of our sins paid in full. But let me tell you something, family. It's our only hope in life and death. Easter shows us that Christ, that God, has created us both body and soul and he will redeem both body and soul and renew the whole earth because we see it in the resurrection has started. Philippians 3.21 Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Because of the resurrection, because we know it's been accepted, his sacrifice has been accepted by the Father, all the results of sin, physical and spiritual, will be healed. Those who believe on Christ and belong to Christ and have been forgiven and reconciled by Christ will be raised with him. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Have you seen the Lord this morning? Have you seen the Lord this morning? That's the question. And in a few minutes, we're going to have baptisms. Baptism is a picture of the gospel. Jesus lived this perfect life. And he died an atoning death. And went into the tomb for three days. And just like those being baptized, they came up out of the water. Jesus came up out of the tomb. Rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Will you open your heart this morning to Jesus Christ? Will you as we celebrate this next song. Respond by turning from your sins. Trusting the tomb is empty. He loves you. He's calling you by name. Repent of your sins and believe on him. The band's gonna come on up. Come on up, guys, ladies, as we prepare for baptisms. And I wanna, I'm gonna ask you right now, as, the, as they begin to play, make a decision to trust Jesus today. The tomb is empty. He's risen from the dead. His death is an atonement for your sins. Turn from your sin, trust in him, and just say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I lay down myself. I stopped being my own Lord and my own Savior. You are now my Savior, and i walk with you. And this song is a great response to that. If that's what the Holy Spirit and what God is speaking to you, do so this morning. Father, thank you for your word as we continue to worship you in music and in baptisms. and In response right now, we pray, Spirit of God, come. Help us to lay down our own lives because you truly lay down your life for us. No longer we will be master. You will be master. You love us. You died for us. You rose for us. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.